Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and uh, the, the children in Crossroad Kids have been memorizing John 1, 1 through 14, and uh, we as a family, we're working on that ourselves. So if there's any junior age kids that memorized it and want to join us up here and say it with us, you can, and I'm like, Caleb's like, nope, not doing it. Okay. We're, gonna, we're just going to quote John 1, 1 through 14 to start uh, the sermon. So you guys are going to join me in this, right? Okay. <laughs> Good. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man came from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was shining into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have the process of looking at John chapter 1 and thinking about uh, the gift of Christmas in that sense, which is Christ himself. And if you're in John chapter 1, uh, we're just looking at this idea to start with, but um, don't we all like good gifts? But it seems like, uh, and, and of course, I was talking to some of the kids who, uh, they're like, yeah, we already opened our gifts this, you know, uh, this morning, or, or we're, we did it yesterday, or we're going to, you know... So, this idea of the gift that we get at Christmas, and we're always looking for the right gift, the great gift. Um, and of course, uh, even companies give uh, gifts at Christmas sometimes. And uh, there's notorious, uh, just looking up some, some bad gifts that people received. Uh, David Hood, who was Jewish, received a ham as his Christmas gift from his boss. You know, right, you get the whole point, right? A ham for a Jewish man. Okay. Um, um, Jay Bazanati, who works in Boston, received a sealed envelope full of coupons that were only good on the West Coast of the United States, right? He's, anyway. Um, Joe Martinez, a postal worker for Royal Mail, received a packet of flower seeds packet of flower seeds from Royal Mail. Yes, I don't know why he, they said that was good. The best or the worst comes from G, Steve Johnson, who received a turkey for the past 15 years and then received a picture of a silhouette of a turkey this last year. You know, like, okay. Yes, anyway, you get the point. Um, it, we, get, we give gifts, and sometimes they're not great gifts. And then, of course, when we get not-so-great gifts, what do we do with those great gifts, uh, not-so-great gifts? We, 
re-gift them, of course, right? So we, we re-gift some things. And if you're really, re-gifting is kind of a, a hot discussion. Like, do you do it? Do you don't do it? Like, when do you do it? And of course, uh, it's not bad to re-gift because uh, you get something you can pass on to someone else who may, may value it more than you would. Of course, uh, the whole tension in re-gifting, right, is that you, you could re-gift something to someone who's given you something. And that's always... Uh, the challenge, right, of the, you know, the, the notorious story of the guy who received back from his mother-in-law the gift that he gave her the last year, you know, that, that whole regifting thing that happens. Um, and and uh, Jill Caratini was talking about this, and she says, I was, when a colleague of mine referred to Christmas as the season of regifting, I was certain he had just been a, the victim of too many unfortunate gift exchanges. Except, she says, he wasn't talking about the unwanted scarves or random gift cards. He was talking about the mysterious gift that is resurrected each Christmas and, in a sense, presented again as if new, right? Because that is what we do when we celebrate Christmas every year. It's, it's, it's the re-gift that comes back again to us, that gift of remembering Christ's birth on our behalf. That gift of, of, of coming back and seeing it once again. Because it's not like... Uh, Christmas is the only time you can think about Jesus' birth, and it's not the only time that you can, you can spend some time meditating on the wonder of Jesus' birth, but it's, one, it's that one time in the year when we get a chance to, to really dig in and think again of what it means to be given Jesus as a gift to us. And in John chapter 1, John beautifully and masterfully helps us to see exactly what we're receiving when Jesus comes to earth. And, and I, I want to focus, in a sense, on three different aspects that we receive when Jesus comes as a gift. Like, in a sense, what, what are we really unwrapping when we realize that Jesus has come to earth? And John, in John chapter 1, starts with this idea. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And one aspect here of who Christ is, is that he is, he is God the Creator. He, he puts these and weaves these sentences together in a beautiful way, but he's emphasizing a couple of things. He's saying, this word was in the beginning and it was with God, that it was face to face with God and also that it was God, that it has all the qualities of God. It, it, it existed as God, the word did. And then he, he's trying to help us, well, what do you mean by that, John? He says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And here we get this, this understanding that this gift that we receive with Jesus comes to earth is that God, the creator, the one who without anything, he made everything, anything that exists, exists through his work, is now with us and among us. And, and yet there's this, obviously he's mirroring Genesis chapter 1, John is, in this process. And he's saying, look at the, look at the similarities here, but he says, in the beginning was the word. I think sometimes we we just skip over that part. We don't quite realize what it means. You realize that this isn't 
This isn't something where the universe has existed for eternity past and exists in the eternity future and we're just kind of in this state that we exist for a little bit and we die, but the universe keeps going. When we say in the beginning, we're not saying that there was nothing before the beginning because God existed before the beginning, but God is telling the story. And the point is that it is a story, like every story has a beginning. And God is gifting us a story of what he is doing in making us. And he's putting us in this story so that we can understand who we are in the midst of it. That, that we, can, we can walk in the midst of this and realize, you know what? My, I had a beginning. This world, this universe had a beginning. And it came as a result of something. And John puts it here, and the word was with God. That the word for with here in the Greek has the idea all the time of face to face, that is of presence, of, of this communion aspect. And so when you, when you say it's not with in the sense of physical proximity, it's with in the sense of face to face relationship. And the beginning, our beginning, came as a result of God's communion together, his fellowship together. It wasn't God fracturing and saying, you know what, uh, I want to do my own thing over here. And Jesus is like, I'm going to make this world over here. And God the Father is like, well, I'm going to make this world over here. No, this is, we are the result of this union, this fellowship with God, fellowshipping together and producing us. This is his story. You know, we live in a world where the, uh, we now have 3D printers, right? <laughs> like, you understand the 3D printer and, and the idea that you can, in a sense, make, make something bit by bit and block by block, layer by layer, just slowly up the layers until, bam, something's made. And it's kind of amazing to watch. I've got a friend who owns a couple of them, and you see this thing just coming out of a vat of whatever, and you're like, well, that's pretty amazing that something would come out of, in a sense, nothing into structure and form and, and, and to be made. And since we live in a, in a world where, in a sense, it seems like we can make anything, sometimes we think we can make ourselves. We can, we can say, you know, this is who I want to be, and I'm going to put myself together this way, and I'm going to do this and be this, and this is who I am now. The problem is if you make yourself and then you realize, well, what if I don't like what I made? <laughs> and, and here John is directly mimicking, recalling, having us recall back to Genesis chapter 1 and realize God made us. He's the one who formed us. And he got to the end of his creation and he said, this is very good. He was delighted with what he had made. He's like, this is amazing. This is wonderful. I love what I've done here. Again, out of, the fel out of his fellowship together within himself, as God, he has made us and called us very good. So good that he is willing to live with us. And you say, well, if this is very good, then, then why do I see you bad things? Why, why do I have to deal with so much junk in my life, and not just junk, but 
evil. And John doesn't shy away from that. He, in a sense, directly references that by pointing out another aspect of who Jesus is. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's a, a second point, if you will. Christ is light. And, and there's an interesting play here. If you read all the way through John chapter 1, and, and even go all the way through John, you can see the, the play between life and light that takes place. Ultimately, Jesus is called the light of the world. He's called the bread of life. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of references to life and light all the way through John. But here, John is linking Jesus' life to the light that comes to us. It was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. There's a sense in which that his life is light in the sense that there's this redemption factor. It's not just that he created us, but he is coming to redeem us, to, to, to clear away the darkness, to clear away the confusion and the evil that is with us, and to help us to know, to see what's really going on and what he really is like. And it, Im Im immediately, John clarifies, he's like, evil darkness is not more powerful, nor even as equally powerful as good, but good always wins over evil. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're, we're dealing with this, and it reminds me of a Calvin and Hobbes Comic strip, right? You remember the Calvin and Hobbes, right? The, the, the boy and his, his tiger that he animates in his head, so to speak. And of course, he, he puts Calvin and Hobbes, the, the creator of Calvin, puts Calvin and Hobbes in, in kind of generic kid situation and has these co conversations going on that are really deep. But it's, uh, so there's this one scenario, Calvin's hurtling down a snowy slope on a sled with his friend Hobbes, the tiger, and he gets into a discussion with Hobbes. He says, I'm getting nervous about Christmas, and Hobbes says, in a sense, as they're flying down this slope, Hobbes uh, replies, you're worried you haven't been good? Calvin says, that's just the question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents? Hobbes replies, but maybe good is more than the absence of bad. And Calvin responds, see, that's what worries me. You know? And it, it's a good reminder in some ways that, again, we often define ourselves and, and good simply as the absence of evil. <laughs> like, well, I didn't do a, a lot of bad things this year. I didn't, I didn't murder anyone. I didn't do a lot of things that would hurt people. But light is more than just the absence of, of evil. In fact, it's the opposite. Darkness is the absence of light. And here, Christ is life, and his life is light to us. And you can see as he goes through here, he talks about the light. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. 
that all might believe through him. He was not the light. He's clarifying because he knows the context of his original readers, which, which were reading and saying, well, we, we heard about John the Baptist. How does John the Baptist relate to Jesus? And he's like, John is a witness. He's, it's, you have to understand who the true light is. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and yet his own people did not receive him. There's this sense of, okay, the, the light was in the world, but, but we didn't even recognize the light. We didn't understand the light. And what, then he goes on and talks about it with John. He goes on to verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. Even when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And he goes on, he denies that and the next day, verse 29, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here, here is this light that John is bearing witness to. He's saying this life, this person who's coming to the world who has life, who is life, is light to us in a certain way. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He locates evil not out there primarily, but in us. Like the evil resides here first, in my heart, in your heart, that we are willing to, to not know God, to not love God, to not love the light, but to flee from it. And that's why he talks about receiving. He says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him Yet the world did not know him. The irony of that statement, right? That here was the creator of the universe, and yet the world did not recognize its own creator. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Which brings me, in a sense, to that, what does it mean to receive the light? How do we recognize this light? Which brings me to my third point, which is that Christ is judge. And you say, well, what do you mean judge here? Well, I had the privilege over the past couple of weeks of uh, being in a judge's presence. It's called to be with the judge. Not because I had done anything wrong. I want to clarify, right? It wasn't like I was called in, like, hey, you're guilty. No, it was, it was, it was jury duty, you know, this is jury duty, right? So we were called in, you, a, you have to be selected for a jury trial, and they're going through the selection process. And if you've never, this is the first time I'd actually done it. I'd been on call, but I'd never actually sat in. And uh, so you had this, this prosecutor attorney and the and the state attorney, uh, the prosecuting attorney, and the defense attorney that were both, uh, in a sense, trying to figure out who's a, a, a amenable to their, to their case, right? They're asking questions of the jury, and it was an OWI scenario, right? So operating while intoxicated, uh, where the, the state is trying to prove that this guy is guilty of operating while intoxicated, and of course, this guy is saying, I didn't do it, you know? And... Uh, and so uh, the, it starts with the prosecuting attorney kind of questioning the jury. Uh, and are you okay? And the, because it, it comes out in the questioning that um, there, there was no breathalyzer test. 
So, because the guy re- refused a breathalyzer test. And, um, and so, the, the question comes is, how do you prove that someone is intoxicated without a breathalyzer test? Because it's pretty, you know, pretty straightforward, you know, like, what is it, 0.08 or whatever, you know, okay, you're, you know, guilty. There's the, there's the data that we need. Well, what if you don't have that kind of data, right? Like, it's just straightforward. And, and, uh, and so several of the jury members struggled with that. They wrestled with that. And, uh, and one guy in particular was kind of struggling with it, wrestling with it, and, and uh, was basically saying, I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable convicting anyone if I didn't have that breathalyzer test. And uh, through the process of kind of just questioning, it was obvious that what it came down to in some ways was, okay, the law, the law in Iowa at least is, is, is a certain way, and the judge is going to, uh, t- to say, is going to tell us, you know, have the, the attorneys present evidence, and he, then he's going to tell us what the, the law says and tell us, this is how I want you to interpret it in my court, and then all you have to do is say, does did they match who, who, who matched up the evidence with the, with the law? Why is that important? Well, because in that scenario, what became clear was in his court, that judge was final. You know what I mean? Yeah, now, yes, you can appeal. There's appellate courts. I understand that. But in, in his court, the judge told you what the law was, and he told you how to interpret the law, and he told you, how to look at the evidence. It was all, it was all under his total control. And, and what it came down to with this guy was he, he was wrestling with it, and the, and the judge finally turned to him and was like, okay, you're going to swear an oath in a, in a few minutes that you're going to abide by this. You're not going to abide by your conscience. Like, it doesn't really matter what you think the law should be, <laughs> nor does it matter what you think the law, how the law should be interpreted. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to, I'm the judge, and you're going to have to go with my, my recommendations and then just judge whether the, the, the evidence meets, meets that. That's how a judge works. Here, it's, a slightly, it's, not, a, it's not a prosecuting attorney, it's an adoption scenario. He says, these... Those who believe in his name, who believe he is life, that he is light, that he is the creator of the universe, those who believe in him, he gives the right. He's the judge. He comes in and is like, okay, you're now children of God. It's that scenario. He's the one who makes that call. It's not my conscience. It's not, and he, that's why he lists off these things. He says, it's not of blood. That is, well, it's just if you, if you were born into a certain family, then you're in the, ch- the family of God. It's not like that. It's not the will of the flesh. It's not it's like someone's desire to, to have a child. That, that's not what makes you a child of God. And then he, like the will of man is the idea of, well, let's all get together and we'll decide together who's, who's in you know, who's in the family of God or not. We'll decide the will of man. And he's like, no. It's this judge who is God. He decides who's in the family of God. And he gives the right to become God's children to believe in his name, who believe his claims to be the word made flesh. 
And this is the gift that we receive at Christmas. He's the creator of the universe. He's the light of the world. And he's the judge who gives us the right to be in the family of God. And so we celebrate Christmas not simply because Jesus was born of a virgin, for instance, although that's kind of, in a sense, frosting on the cake to realize how this all works together, nor is it because of the angels and the, the, the celebration that God put together at his son's birth, nor is it simply because we get to receive gifts ourselves at Christmas time. John quickly gets to the heart of why we celebrate Christmas, and it's because of Jesus. He is the Word, the Word made flesh. And he says, it's just an amazing verse. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the, fu- from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a gift here. It's not, we, we haven't earned it, we definitely haven't deserved it, but Christ came as a gift to us but full of truth as well. This is who he is. He is the judge. He says how things go. It's his courtroom now because he has come and he has come to give us life. We've celebrated finding peace and hope and love and joy at Christmas. But you can't find any of those without Jesus. But once you have Jesus then you have hope. Once you have Jesus, you have peace. Once you have Jesus, you have joy. And once you have Jesus, you have eternal love. The question for us is as we open the gift, or do we just want to re-gift him? You know, like, okay, maybe he's better for someone else. Or will you say, He's my gift. He's a gift to me. A gift that I will receive. A gift that will change me, yes, and will define my story and will tell me what, where my, what my destiny is and where I'm headed and what's going to happen in my life. That's that kind of gift. It's a gift of the creator of the world who knows you, who made you, who has this story written for you. It's a gift of light to realize that, that yes, in all the evil of the world, and all the confusion of the world, you can know that you're loved. You can know that you're forgiven. It's a gift that says that if you receive him, you're part of the family of God, permanently born as his children. So the question we all are faced with at Christmas time is will we receive Jesus, right? Will we celebrate who he is? Will we recognize the gift that we've received? Will we receive him? If you have received him, will you, in a sense, rejoice in the gift that you've received again? I know we get... If you've been a Christian for a while, it's like, okay, we, we celebrate Christmas. We do it every year, you know. It's like, well, that, yes. But it's kind of like, you know, my, my wife and I talk about this often. We, uh, 
we have to go into Walmart often with, with seven kids. You're, you're like, oh, I, if you forget something along the line. So it's like you're going to Walmart almost every day to get something. The problem is, is that when you come out, it's so blurred that you don't remember where you parked. Have you ever been there? You know, like, you, like where did I park? <laughs> you know, I've been here so many times. I don't know where I parked. And then you have to kind of wander around or maybe use your, you know, where's my key, key thing to get the car to beep or something like that. The, the reason why that happens is they, they say that in your, I think it's your cerebellum, that you're not, you're so, you're not really paying attention. You're not noticing details because you're not slowing down and processing where you're at. You're just like, I've got to go to Walmart again and get this. And, you, and so you're not, you're not slowing down and thinking about it. And so it doesn't register. If you just, just a tip, just a tip, right? Is as you leave your car, just slow down for five seconds and pay attention to where you are and your brain will remember, okay? The problem is most of us won't slow down for five seconds. I get that Christmas is a time for gifts and sharing and family, but for five seconds, let's remember the gift we received. Let's notice that he is the creator of the universe. Let's notice that he's the light of the world. And let's notice that he is the judge who makes us a part of his family and that no other word in history or in time or in power can ever change that. We become children of God, born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. God made flesh and he dwells among us. Let's rejoice in that this Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of remembrance, of remembering that Christ, that in this story that we messed up in a sense by us choosing our own way and going our own way, just like our father Adam and Eve, and, and their choice to fall away from you, yet you sent your son, and he became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see his glory, and that glory could be life and light to us. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Help us to see the truth and to see the grace. And may we receive this gift and rejoice in what it means to be children of you. We thank you in your Son's name. Amen.